It is no secret that we love telling stories. Anybody love a good story? Anybody tell bedtime stories to their kids or grew up hearing bedtime stories their whole life? We love stories. Since ancient times when people would sit around campfires or at their hearth in their house and they would tell the stories of their ancestors or some myths or some other stories, all the way to modern times when it's like technology and special effects tell the greatest stories. I did some research this week and found out, check this out, uh, Google taught me how much we like stories. Did you know that there are over 140 million books that have been written? Like, I'm not talking about the number of books printed. I'm talking about individual titles. 140 million. That's a lot of stories. I know some of them are like textbooks, but to some people, a textbook is a story. I love books. I'm a reader myself. It makes me a little bit sad to think that I won't see most of those books in my lifetime. Uh, if you hate books, guess what? There's some other stories that are going on. According to the Internet Movie Database, the IMDB, uh, there are at least 26,000 feature films available for you to watch. 26,000. And that means a film of 40 minutes or longer. That doesn't count short films. It doesn't count like miniseries. It doesn't count privately produced things. We love stories. In 2019, we produced more television shows than in any one year in the history, except for maybe 2020, though that probably slowed down. I couldn't find any statistics on that. But check this out. In 2019, over 530 different television shows were produced. 530. I'm not talking about episodes of shows. I'm talking about individual shows like seasons or portions of seasons of television shows. We love stories. Every single day, over five billion YouTube videos are watched. That's like almost like every single person on the planet watched a video, almost. I mean, there's, there's, there's like, I think over seven billion people on the planet. Okay, so maybe you're not into reading, maybe you don't like watching stuff, you just like listening. What about podcasts? There are over 900,000 podcasts that you can subscribe to. That's because everyone in this room has their own podcast. So there's, there's a lot of podcasts. I think someone estimated about 30 million episodes. We love stories. Whether we're watching them, whether we're reading them, whether we're listening to them, we love stories. Because why not? When you hear a good story, you get to step into a world you don't live in. You get to go on an adventure that you couldn't go on in your living room or in your bedroom or in your car. You get to meet new friends. Sometimes you get to unplug from reality. I love fantasy and science fiction. It's one of the, the most common books that I read. And man, I just love going somewhere else that doesn't really exist. Or you can actually ground yourself. You can read real life history. You can find out what's going on around you. We love stories because it takes us somewhere. And something magical happens inside of a story. Uh, stories teach us. They remind us, they inform us, they encourage us, they inspire us. One of my favorite stories is a movie you may have heard of. Anybody heard of Remember the Titans? Yeah. Man, I love the movie Remember the Titans. And, and like, what's not to love about Remember the Titans? It's a movie about football, by the way. Super Bowl's today. Anybody excited about that? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sad to report the Dallas Cowboys did not make it to the playoffs. <laughs> But I love football. So remember the Titans, man. You got football, but it's also this beautiful story of like, you know, there's, there's civil unrest. It's during the civil rights movement. And, and I don't want to spoil this for you. Maybe you haven't seen it. You got to go see Remember the Titans. But it's a story during the desegregation, or the, the, the desegregation, yes, of public schools. And so you've got this school that has to join together blacks and whites and they meet on the football field. They have to be the same football team. And the struggle between the coaches, the blacks and the whites in the community, and what happens in that story to bring that town together over football. It's beautiful. And it's got Denzel Washington in it. Come on. It's a great story. 
Stories like that have a special place in my mind. Another one that, that hits me really hard is a new favorite of mine, uh, Hidden Figures. Have you seen that movie? This is a movie, uh, also a civil rights era movie, and you've got some ladies who work at NASA, but they're also African Americans. They're in a very difficult period for not only women, but also African Americans, and they make a huge impact. We wouldn't have been in space without these ladies. You've got to watch that movie. Read the book first, then watch the movie if you're that person. Really, really good. And this is why. Because I didn't live in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s for that matter. Like, I didn't, I didn't see this stuff happen. I've heard about it. But when you get to watch a movie or read a book, you get to go there and learn some, something. Uh, we have been in a particularly hard time uh, in our country of civil unrest, particularly around racism, you know? And... I, this is February, it's Black History Month. I'm a middle class white dude, okay? So I've been working hard to educate myself. After last year, I realized I thought I knew better. Like I heard of Booker T. Washington, you know? But like, man, I've been reading book after book and just educating myself because it takes you to something you, you can't get in real life, like that I'm living now. You have to go through a book or through a movie, through a story. I tell all of that because I believe that as Christians, as powerful as a story is, the story of Jesus coming to earth, God in the flesh, is the most powerful story ever. Not only is it inspirational, and it can remind us, and it can inform us, and all those other things, it is eternally significant. The story of Jesus coming to earth changes the fabric of reality for every single person who comes in contact with it. So we're in this teaching series, Rhythms of a Disciple, and our mission throughout this series has been to go through what are basically called spiritual disciplines. Like, what does it mean for us to be spiritually disciplined? Uh, the word rhythm is kind of this idea of keeping in step, whether it's with a dance or whether it's with, you know, a beat or a sway or a pattern or habits. And this idea of rhythms of a disciple, we're looking at Jesus and his disciples. And what were the things they did to keep in step with God? And our goal is to look through the, God's word and find those things. And listen, if you're a modern day Christian or maybe you're just someone who's curious about Christianity, I want to tell us all, like, if we're not living by some of these same rhythms, we shouldn't call ourselves those people. Like, that's what it means to be a believer, is to live in those rhythms. We use the acronym so far, the word HABITS, H-A-B-I-T-S, and every letter from the word HABITS is a memory peg for helping us keep in mind some of the spiritual disciplines. And so if you can remember with me, we started with the letter H, and that first week we talked about a hunger for righteousness. What does it mean for us to get rid of spiritual junk food and begin to feast on the righteousness that God has for us? The letter A was abide with God. And so we talked about meditation and prayer and spending time with the Lord. Not trying to do stuff, but just be present. And Jesus modeled that so well. The third week was letter B. And B was about Bible internalization. That God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path, and I've hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against him. That's Bible internalization. Uh, last week, we talked about intentional relationships, and i got to tell you, each week I've gotten more and more feedback from you guys. Uh, I think we're hitting on something here. I think it's the beginning of a year, 2021, and we want to do better. So when I talked about intentional relationships last week, I got a lot of feedback saying, listen, I want that. I need that. So keep working on that. Keep trying to find these relationships that will help grow you closer to God and you can help them. Uh, this week is T of the word habits. And we're talking about T is tell the story. Tell the story. Another word for that is probably evangelism. Telling what God has done in the world. Next week we'll talk about S, serving others. And we'll get there. If you missed any of this teaching series, I want to encourage you to go check it out on our podcast. Uh, all of them are there. You can also watch it if you're a more visual learner. Go to youtube.com slash join the venture. All of our sermons 
We have them in playlists. Ever since we started putting church online, we got a playlist for every series, and you can watch all the sermons, and you can catch up. Let's talk about telling the story. The story of God's love, as told through Jesus, has brought, brought people peace in storms. It has brought people hope when they're living in despair. It's brought people purpose when they've hit rock bottom and feel like they don't have any purpose. Just telling the story, hearing what God has done for us. So for the time we have left today, what I want to encourage you to do is grab your Bibles. We're going to be all over the New Testament today. Uh, if you've got a, a uh, digital Bible on your phone or if you brought your paper Bible, you guys at home, grab a Bible, pull it out. Uh, I'm going to be zipping through some of these, and so you might want to just jot it down so you can go back and look at it. The scripture will also be on the screen here as well. But when you talk about telling the story of God, let's hear God's story from God's book, okay? I think probably the most condensed version of God's story is the one we find in John 3.16. The, the Gospel of John, one of the biographies of Jesus. And in the first three chapters, the Apostle John really lays out who Jesus is. And in John 3, 16, we get this. Listen to this. This is like, this would be on the summary of the back of the book, you know? You know when you read the little book cover, it's like, what's this book about? This is God's story. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Odds are good you've heard that verse. It's one of the most popular scriptures quoted. People who aren't Christians have heard about and quoted John 3.16. Think about that story. A father and a son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sacrificed his son for the sins of mankind and to offer them eternal life. Now, that's a story. I'm a dad. I have two kids. I love them very much. I, lo I love them more than anything. I would do anything for my kids. I, I, would, I would give my life for my kids. I like you guys a lot. I love you guys a lot. Most of you. No, I love, I love all of you a lot. But I would be hard-pressed to make the decision to sacrifice one of my children for any of you. Right? I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings. <laughs> but you probably understand and feel the same way. You know, that's, it's such a noble thing. Wow. But this is God, the creator of the universe. He doesn't owe us anything to give his son. So think, see, see the power of that story in just that one verse? But it gets better because it, in that verse, it's called God's son. But God's family tree doesn't work like ours. I mean, it's not like biologically his son. I mean, we know how sons and daughters work. And mommy and a daddy fall in love and then there's a baby. Like, that's not what this is. It's actually kind of a code word for something more. Because in reality, Jesus wasn't just God's you know, biological son. In fact, he wasn't at all. That, that word uh, son we see in a couple places it says begotten of the father what it really means is like he came from the father a more literal or more theologically clear version of it is understanding that as God came to earth as a human in human form so it's one thing for me to sacrifice my son or my daughter like that's a big deal it's another step for this is, if Jesus is actually just God in the flesh John 3 16 says God gave himself he laid down his own life for us what a powerful story that's God's story from God's book it's told in a different way in Philippians chapter 2 uh, this is one of my passages if you want to flip there Philippians chapter 2 was written by the Apostle Paul and in Philippians chapter 2 uh, he's actually quoting kind of what was a, a famous hymn or song of their time I think that's what most scholars think it's kind of poetic but in Philippians 2 5 through 8 listen how Paul tells the story this is the story it says in your relationships with one another you should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature 
God, that's what I was just saying, he's God in the flesh, who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, remember this is God, becoming a man, listen to the story. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We get all wrapped up in movies and books where there's a hero who's laying down his life or her life. Like, that's the story. Like, that's the main hero story, right? I'm going to do anything for the people for the story. That's a good story. This is the story of God, excuse me, of God, the creator of the universe, coming down to lay down his life. You know, other world religions speak of their gods or their God. And the God is always something to be appeased. I've always got to sacrifice something for the God. I've always got to make, and I just hope, I hope that he's happy with me. I hope that she will bless us with children. I hope that he will make our crops grow like around the world. And this is what like being, worshiping God is for so many other faith groups. But Jesus' thoughts for us is this. No, no, no. This isn't about you appeasing me. This is about me lowering myself to come to you, to show you the way, to make a way for you to have presence with me. Yes, I want your worship. I want your praise, but only as an overflowing response to what I've done for you. You see the difference? What a story. What a hero narrative. So when Jesus is giving his final instructions to his disciples, by the way, if you would call yourself a Christian today, that's you, okay? And we looked at this passage last week. In Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 19, this is what we call our great commission. He is commissioning us to do something. And so he says, Jesus says, therefore, since I've done all this stuff, since I came to earth, since I did these miracles and showed you God, therefore, go. You go. And what? Make disciples of all nations. What am I supposed to do as I make disciples? Well, you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus does this amazing thing. He says, listen, you heard the story, right? God so loved the world. He came into and he gave his only son. And so anyone who believes in him should not perish and have eternal life. You know the story, right? Okay, check it out. Now you, you've heard that story? Now go and tell the story. That is a rhythm that we see the disciples live in day in and day out. And that is what we are called to live in. And it can be a little bit intimidating because we think, oh man, I don't know enough. <laughs> I don't have all the answers. How am I supposed to tell the story? I don't even know the whole story. Maybe you haven't read the whole Bible or even part of it. We're going to take a minute to look at some of those early disciples and see how did they tell the story. Okay? I told you we're going to be all over the New Testament today. If you want to flip back over to the book of John. John chapter 4. We're going to meet a lady who has been through it. Okay? She's got a bad reputation. Jesus comes upon her and she's getting some water from a well. This is the lady that we call the Samaritan woman. I don't know what her real name was. Let's call her Linda. I don't know. She's got a name. Okay, and so we meet this lady and Jesus encounters her and blows her mind. <laughs> he teaches her and she's like, you, you are like no other teacher I've ever met. And once she understands the story of Jesus, let's watch what she does. This is John 4, starting at verse 28. It says, Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, 
come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town. They made their way to him. She just drops what she's doing. Like she's there to get her water for the day. And she's like, what? People got to know about this. And she takes off. It says she went to the town. I imagine her running with her, with her skirt in her hand. You know, her dress in her hand. She just took off. I just picture this, this uh, intentionality about her trip back to town. She tells the story by just telling her story. I met a guy. I don't know all the answers, but man, let me just tell you what he told me. That's all I know. That's all this lady knows. And from what we know, her whole town came to know of Jesus that day. Wow. Let's look at another early disciple, and this one is a more prominent one. Uh, Consider the Apostle Paul. We talk about Paul all the time. I've already quoted him. He wrote the book of Philippians that we just read a minute ago. Paul was so convinced of the story of Jesus that it turned his life around. I mean, he goes from being a persecutor of the church. He had been, he had like the best pedigree of a Jewish leader that you could ask for, okay? And people, people really looked up to Paul. He had, he had permission and authority to go out and snuff out the baby church. So he actually had letters from people in authority to hunt down Christians and to pull them out of their house and to force them to renounce their faith in Jesus at the penalty of death. This is, this is Paul. But Paul meets Jesus one day. He has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And once he understands the story, it changes him utterly. And he begins changing history. I mean, Paul wrote the majority of our New Testament. He planted dozens of churches throughout the Mediterranean region. And if you look at every branch of the churches uh, that exist today, the majority of them come and started with the church that Paul started. Isn't that amazing? How did Paul tell the story? Let's look at how he told it one time at least in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 3. This is Paul. He says, well, listen, listen, listen. For what I received, I pass on to you. You follow that? He's just telling the story. What I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. And this is the story he tells, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's how he starts the story. He just starts telling them what he knows, what he's heard, telling the story. And then he backs up his claims with some evidence. Actually, this would be like his footnotes, okay? At verse 5, he says this. Again, we're still in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 5, he says, well, then after Jesus appeared to me, uh, oh, no, sorry. This is before he appeared to Paul. He says, I know that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. And then he appeared to the 12, verse 6 says, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living today. So like if you want to go check with them, they're still around, though some have fallen asleep. And then in verse 7, he says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. So Paul's listen, if you don't believe that I saw him, there's some other people that saw him too. I just want to tell you what I saw. I want to tell you what I heard. I want to tell the story. And then he goes on and he talks about how God appeared to him. But then in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Paul's emphasis is to tell the story. The part that he understood, the part that he knew. This is a real man. Paul had nothing to gain from this. In fact, Paul had everything to lose for telling this story. He had position, he had prosperity, he had financial security. He had a circle of influence, he had peers who respected him. And basically he took all of that and said, forget it, don't want it. 
I heard about Jesus, and I got to tell you about that instead. And you know the people who respected Paul were like, Paul, you're crazy. These Christians are just troublemakers. They're coming to stir up the whole order of things. And Paul said, no, I got to tell people what I saw. I got to tell people what I heard. I got to tell people what I experienced. Or let's look at another one. This is John. Now, John may have been one of Jesus' closest friends. Last time we talked about intentional relationships, uh, John was part of that 12 that we talked about last week, but he was part of what we call the inner circle of three people, people, Peter, uh, James, and John. So John was super close to Jesus. John saw more of Jesus' ministry than perhaps anybody. He saw all the miracles. He was there. So after Jesus died... John would have been considered like an accomplice to whatever crimes Jesus had been charged for. I mean, you realize Jesus was put on trial and he was executed for allegedly for crimes. Well, if we were like hunting down like gang bosses, okay, and we got the big game boss, who's the next guy we're going after? His lieutenant. Like the next guy up. Guess who's there? Peter, James, and John. John had every reason to run and hide. In fact, he did. But he saw the resurrected Lord and his whole story changed. He said, man, this guy, Jesus, is the real deal. He rose from the dead. I got to tell the story. I got to tell people what I saw. These are John's words from the book of John. John is responsible for five books in our Bible, by the way. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote the book of Revelation. So up there with Paul in terms of writing books in the Bible. These are John's words from John 1.14 as he begins to tell the story. He says, the word, and he's talking about Jesus here. He says, the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. i got to tell the story. This guy came from heaven, and he is God in the flesh. And I, and I saw it with my own eyes. And John stuck to that story. In fact, did you realize that all of John's closest friends, every single other living apostle, was executed for his position in the church? The government comes and hunts them down. Some of them die by the sword. Some of them are beheaded. Some of them are crucified. Some of them crucified upside down. There's all kinds of stories of church history of what happened to these guys. John was the last remaining one. And you know that if this was a lie, if this was a waste of his time, John would be like, man, okay, guys, it's time we come clean. Like, all of us are dropping dead. But to the last man, John sticks to this story. He gets exiled to the island of Patmos. That's where we see him write the book of Revelation. And he says, I'm willing to die by this story. And this is why. Look at the book of 1 John. Okay, we're flipping back near the end of your Bibles now. Okay, and this is one of John's letters. 1 John. Listen to this paragraph, how he opens this letter. Just listen to it. 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you, listen again, that which we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this, to listen to this, to make our joy complete. I saw it. I heard it. And I can't be happy unless I tell you about it. To make my joy complete. When we're talking about the rhythms of a disciple, and you look at the early believers, what you see is a group of people who constantly, deliberately, and in rhythm, tell the story. And they tell different parts of the story. The Samaritan woman didn't know much about Jesus. She didn't know all the things that happened before. 
he, she met him, and she probably didn't hear about everything that happened after she met him. She just met him one day. She went and told her whole village about it. All the way to John, who saw it this since we've seen since the beginning. And John was there when Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And John was the last living disciple or apostle. They had to tell the story to make their joy complete. So how do we do that? Uh, I, I want to borrow a sentence from, from the Apostle Peter. Peter does it too. In fact, let me give you a passage from Peter as well. The Apostle Peter talks about it in, in his book, 1 Peter. So if you want to flip over there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with great gentleness and respect. Be prepared. He says, so th this is kind of our outline. Uh, and there's another slide with just the same scripture, but things are outlined. It says this, we, we need to be prepared. We need to give an answer. And we need to do it with gentleness and respect. I want to use this as our three-part outline for how we tell the story. The, the first one is this, be prepared. Another passage says that we should be prepared in season and out of season. Be prepared. When it comes to talking about Jesus, we need to prepare ourselves. How do we prepare ourselves? Well, how do you prepare yourself with anybody else, for anything else? How many of you guys are making some killer food tonight for the Super Bowl? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, Jacob is. I know we are at our house, and the rest of you are, you should work on that. Okay, you should. Now listen, if you ever go into the refrigerator and there's nothing in there, yeah, you were unprepared. You ever go into the grocery store? You were preparing. When we prepare for something, it means it matters to us, okay? We're going to fill our pantry. We're going to fill our refrigerator because it matters to us. When it comes to telling the story, we've got to prepare ourselves by living in the story, keeping our ears and our eyes open. That's what John did. This is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. Reading books, having conversations with one another, telling the story by living in the story, preparing ourselves. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to do this. You've just got to be constantly aware of God's presence and be listening for what God's doing in your life. And if you're brand new at this, no pressure. The lady at the well was brand new at this. In fact, she had a horrible reputation for actually not being a very moral person at all. But she was able to be one of the very first evangelists for the gospel. In fact, I would argue she might be the very first preacher who came in and changed an entire village. Now, you don't have to be an expert at this, but it is important to prepare. You know what you're doing right now? You're preparing. Going to church as often as possible. I would suggest weekly, reading your Bibles as much as possible. I would suggest daily, praying, having conversations, asking the tough questions. Be prepared. Here's the second part of our outline. He says, be prepared for what? To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. To give an answer. I want to go ahead and call out like an elephant in the room. Give an answer. That might make you have an anxiety attack. <laughs> give an answer? I don't have any answer. Look at the world around us. Anybody got answers for 2020? Nope. Like, there's no answers. How am I supposed to give an answer? The, the thing about answers is you, you don't have to be, a, 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 like I said, a Bible scholar, a Bible college graduate. You don't have any, even have to have read the whole Bible. You just have to be able to talk about why do I have the hope that I have. I was with a group of teenagers this past week. Got to hang out with them uh, over at Riceville Beach Baptist Church. Really great group of guys. And one of them just asked me, you know, a pretty deep question. It was about like evolution and creation and the Bible and dinosaurs. And if a teenager comes to you and talks to you about that, that might make you clench up a little bit. 
If you know me, you know it makes me go, yes, bring it on. So I just have this conversation. It's very, you know, honest and open. And when I ask questions, I was prepared for that because it's something I have studied. But you know what? You can have hard questions like that and be like, you know what? I don't know. You know what you do in that case? Return to step one. Be prepared. Go learn about it. Go ask some questions. See what you can find out. Our goal is not to give all the answers. What it says is give an answer for the hope that you have. And for many of us, the answer for the hope that we have is something like this. I don't know. I just, I saw the difference that God was making in someone else's life. And I wanted that. That's a good answer for the hope that you have. You're not being a theologian. You're just saying, listen, I saw this in their life and I wanted to do that. Your answer might be, you know, I actually turned my life over to Jesus. And I've been kind of living by that for a while. And man, it has made a difference. It's made a difference. That's a reason for the hope that I have. I used to be an alcoholic, and now I'm not. My, my divorce was, my, my, my family was falling apart, and we were going to get a divorce, but we didn't. Or, 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 or I was struggling at work to just do whatever, and now I've been able to get through it. That's the reason for the hope that I have. And as we continue to go back to step one and prepare ourselves, our answers will get deeper. And they'll have more significance uh, on a deeper level. But telling the story is simply saying, this is where God's story intersected with my story and this is the difference that it made be prepared to give an answer uh, to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have and then the last thing he says is but do this with gentleness and respect we have got to realize that not everyone's on the same place in their spiritual journey as as you are you might have grown up in church you might have had all the benefits of standing on the shoulders of generations of saints that have come before you that's awesome or you might be watching online for the very first time because someone shared it and you're like, oh, I'll watch this thing. We've got to approach telling the story with gentleness and respect. Our goal is not to tear anybody down. Our goal is not to make anybody, uh, you know, insignificant or call anybody out. Our goal is simply to say, listen, this is what happened in my life. When I look at the old song, Amazing Grace, I see the purest picture of what it means to tell the story. You know that song? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. Listen to this. This is the story. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. What's your story? What's your story with God? You once were what? Fill in the blank. But now you're what? Fill in the blank. Tell that story. I've been trying my best to leave some practical pointers on the table for us every week. And this is one I want to leave with you as we close today. Uh, I learned this right before I moved to Wilmington about eight years ago. And um, it's, the concept is it's called living a missional route. This is about rhythm, okay? A missional route. A missional route looks like this. And this is how we get into the lives of people to tell stories. And so uh, it looks like this. Every day you try to get a routine that is similar to yesterday's routine, okay? So this means going to the same gas station that you go to every week. Going, when you go to the bank, going to the same window with the same teller. They're going to uh, the same coffee spot to get your coffee from the same barista. If you, if you work in your job, making sure you check in with a certain person at a certain time. You take your lunch at a certain place. Why? Not because you're trying to be OCD and have like your schedule a certain way, but because by setting up a route, a missional route, a predictable missional route, there is a high probability that you're going to begin running into the same people over and over and over. 
There's a good chance that the people that live in your house with you, because you've been stuck in there with, with them for 10 months, they know your story. They're sick of hearing your story. They want you to go out, okay? As we reboot our lives in the next several months and get back, I want to encourage you to consider a missional route. And as you go on that route, tell the story. Now, now the very first time you're pumping gas and you've got to pay the guy, don't be like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Like, that guy's going to be like, uh, yeah, it's 850 still, so cash or credit, like what? Uh, like, you don't just dive in like that. You build relationship. The first thing to do would be to get to know their name. Many employees have name tags. Return the favor and let them know your name. And then every time you greet them, greet them by their name. Before long, they'll be asking about your family and your weekend and your hobbies and your interests. And you're going to one day run into them at Walmart or Food Line or at a park. And you'll be like, hey, that's my friend so-and-so from the place that I go all the time. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. We take our time building relationships. And over that course, not only do we get chances to tell our story, but they get to see our story. We also want to pray for them by name. You meet a person that you work with all the time, a client that you serve, or somebody that you stop by their house all the time for work or whatever, and you get their name and you begin praying for them daily by name. Lord, open up opportunities for me to tell my story to them. And listen with gentleness and respect, right? Ask them about their life. You want to hear their story? God has been intersecting with their life since they were born, and they might not even know it. In our missional route, I think it's important to establish some zones. And so in my life, I think of them as overlapping circles, if you think about like the Olympics symbol. And so here's just a thought. Try to identify five circles of influence in your life, okay? And, and the first two or three are going to be pretty easy. Probably your, your household, your family, your work environment, and let's call it your family of faith, so your church family. Those are three. These are three places where you can tell your story. By the way, it's very beneficial to tell our story to other believers, too. Because we get to really help each other. And let's not assume we're all like sitting on golden pedestals in here, right? We all need to grow, right? This week I want to encourage you to think of two other circles. The gym you work out at, the, the park where you walk, uh, the place that you serve as a volunteer, some place, your mailman that you, you're going to see every day at 2 o'clock. That's a circle. It's one person, but it's a circle. And begin to be praying about those five areas and looking for ways that we can share our story. I am thankful for my grandparents who told their story that my parents picked up on. I'm thankful for my parents for telling their story that I picked up on. I'm thankful for the countless people in my life who told their story that built me up and taught me that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And it is now my mission to make my life a life that tells the story of Jesus. And I hope you join me on that. I know a lot of you will. And that's what it looks like to tell the story. Let's pray.